All right, y'all, we are in our, the, our last series, our last message in the book of James. So we have finally arrived. Uh, and then, you know, it's been quite a journey. You know, we've been learning. Hopefully you all been getting out of this. Just how important that is. It is that our faith affects every area of our life, because that's what James is talking about. Remember, it's not enough just to say that you're a Christian in name only. It's supposed to affect what you think, what you do, what you say, who you hang out with, every aspect of your life. So James is going to conclude his letter now by talking about the importance of prayer. And that's why, as you can see, today's message is titled, our final message in our series of James, is titled, Faith That Depends on God, because our main point today is that Christians display their dependence on God through prayer at all times. That's what we're going to learn about today. That's how James closes out this letter. You guys, you know, I don't I think as Christians, we really don't appreciate just the privilege we have in prayer. I don't think that we really, really appreciate it or quite wrap our minds around and understanding just how much of a privilege it is to be able to pray to God. You know, I remember when I was your age, when I was a teenager and I got my first cell phone and boy, was I excited about that cell phone, even though it was not even nothing famous, nothing. Uh, there was nothing spontaneous about it or nothing fancy about it. It was a small little Nokia phone, but I was excited about it because I had access to all my friends. And I could call them whenever I wanted to. And I also was happy when I got my first cell phone, when I graduated to being able to get unlimited text messages. You want to know why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because. Now that I can text my friends anytime I want to without having to pay 10 cents or however much it was back then for a text message. Oh, did you guys know that you have to pay? (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah. See, yeah, when I was coming up. uh Yes, you had to pay for time. Yeah, see, see, yeah, y'all, that was the, <laughs> yeah, see, when y'all, y'all don't realize that maybe, maybe some of you did, I mean, obviously with Gavin, uh, but yeah, I, was, I got excited about that, you know, and then, of course, I got excited because then I didn't, you know, even though I was able to access my friends, even though I was able to text them now uh, with unlimited texting, I still did not have unlimited internet one day. And boy, oh boy, when I finally was able to get unlimited internet on my phone, it was an exciting day, <laughs> you know. Now, I say that, you guys, because when it comes to prayer, you know, we get excited over things like that, that we may have unlimited access to. But when it comes to prayer, the reason why we got to understand how much of a privilege prayer is, is because when we when we are able to pray to God as Christians, that means we have unlimited access to the God of the universe, Mm -hmm. the creator of the whole world, the God that created you and me, the God that created this whole world. um, You know, the God that's in control, the, the God that has all wisdom and all knowledge, who is able to help you in your time of need. We have unlimited access to God through prayer, but I don't think as Christians we truly, truly understand that because why is it that we pray much less than we often do? What, let me ask you guys this question. What is prayer? What is prayer? If somebody asks, what's to walk up to you and say, what is even prayer? What, how would you define it? Well, my definition of prayer is like praying to the, uh, praying to the uh God Jesus. Uh, you're praying to God and Jesus, but they'll so they'll ask, okay, well, what is praying then? Hmm? Talking to Him, yes. That's simply all prayer is. It's uh, it's communication with God. It's personal communication with God, and you know we all communicate 
I'm communicating with you right now. You all communicate with your friends. You all communicate with your parents, your, your coaches, your bosses at work. We all communicate. And we probably all, if we're honest, sometimes communicate more with other people than we communicate with God. But that's all prayer is. It's simply personal communication with God by which we have access to God. You know, the reason why it's so hard for us to pray as Christians is this. Because it's the last thing that Satan wants us to do is pray. That's the last thing he wants us to do. And you want to know why? Because when we pray to God, we not only are expressing our dependence upon God, but we're also accessing the power of God by which Satan is no match for. So if, if there's anything that he wants to keep us from doing, it's praying. Because we have access to God's power when we pray. We have unlimited access to God and his power through prayer. And that is why when we pray, we are to do so by trusting and depending upon God. That is what it means to pray with faith. That's why in my Bible, the subheading says the prayer of faith. Maybe yours says that as well. But that's pretty much what it means. That's why James is talking about this, because James wants us to understand just how important prayer is to our life as Christians. When we pray with faith and live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God, then our prayers will be effective. Our prayers will be effective. It doesn't mean that all, every time we pray, God will say yes. Or doesn't, it's going to still mean sometimes say no, but they're going to be in prayer. Our prayers will be effective because we're praying in line with the will of God. And that's what James is wanting us to understand from this scripture. So before we get into the scripture, I want to remind you what Jesus said in John 14, 13 through 14. He says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. That the father might be glorified in the son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You want to know what Jesus is telling us there? He's saying that to pray in his name is to pray according to his will. And the more we pray to the Lord and the more we spend time in his word, the more the Holy Spirit is going to help us discern what his will is regarding a matter by which we are able to pray and our prayers be affected by it. That is why James ends this letter by talking about the importance of prayer and the life of the Christian. Because as Christians, we're supposed to take all things to the Lord in prayer. And, when, and if we do do that on a regular basis, that is definitely a sign that we are spiritually mature. That we are a spiritually mature Christian where we're regularly communicating with God through the privilege of prayer. So that's why James ends this lesson with prayer, because prayer we need to pray, you guys, as Christians, because we cannot live this Christian life apart from uh, our connection with God through Jesus Christ. We can't do it. So that's why James ends there. So I'm going to go ahead and read our text and we'll see how James is telling us how we're called to pray as Christians. We'll look at that. So in James 5:13, it says this. Is any of you in trouble? Well, he should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed 
and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Here's what I think James is telling us in this passage of scripture. He is showing us ways that we ought to be praying as Christians. That's so vital to our lives, so vital to our ministry and the call that God has placed on our life. Number one, I think James tells us to do is that we need to pray individually in all circumstances. That's the next slide, Michelle. We need to pray individually in all circumstances. What James tells us in verse 13. Notice what he says there in verse 13. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Now, if you remember what we talked about last week, we talked about patiently enduring in suffering because that's what James talked about. So he, he's not forgot about that context about what he just said. So therefore, he's saying, what's the solution for Christians going through trials? What's the solution for Christians going through troubles and, and tribulation for not only being in this fallen world? But also for being a Christian, it is to go to God in prayer. Then he said, is anyone happy? How many of you are happy sometimes? Yes. But then guess what? He tells us to pray still. Let him sing songs of praise. Songs of praise is what we just got doing. But guess what, you guys? That's still a form of praying to God. So he's saying in all circumstances, whether you're in trouble or whether you're happy, pray to the Lord. Through, pray, through praying to him or through praising him. It's all prayer. Trouble means suffering. And it is the suffering of not only physical pain, but hardship, problems, difficulties, evils, or distresses of various kinds. Now, we will all experience suffering, as I told you guys last week. It's just part of being in this fallen world, and it comes with being a Christian. It's just a reality. But James tells us that we should pray when we're suffering. Then James asks, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. So what James is pretty much telling us, you guys, tonight is that we should pray when life is not going so well. And we need to pray when life is going well, when we're happy. Therefore, pray in all circumstances, no matter what's going on. For most of us, if we're honest here tonight, we probably only pray a lot to God when we're having a bad day, you know, or when things are going on where in our world, in our life, that's just, you know, it's not pleasant. It doesn't feel good. And it just then that's when we want to go to God in prayer. But as soon as things are back to normal and life is good, what do we tend to do? Pray a lot less. I know that's true for me in all honesty. You know, we, we tend to forget God when the things are going good, but we tend to be quick to run to God as soon as things are not so good. But James is telling us to pray in all circumstances. In my experience, this is certainly true when it comes to those who say they don't believe in God. You know, they don't pray or anything when life is going good either for those who don't believe in God. But guess what happens? Don't you find it kind of strange for those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or God and those very same people when something's going bad, they're they're the ones that go and pray or they're the ones that want other people to pray. But wait a minute, you don't believe in the Lord. (laughs) I don't believe in this, but you pray for me. Yeah, you know. But see, that's proof of what the Bible says about how everybody has an inward knowledge of God, pretty much. No matter whether you're saved or lost, everybody has a, a conscience, so to speak, where they know deep side in their heart that of the reality of a God out there. You know, but because of sin, you choose to suppress the truth of that. So that, that just wanted to throw out there. But as Christians, it's very vital for us that we don't act like unbelievers in this manner. 
Because unlike unbelievers, we have the privilege of praying to God in all seasons, in all circumstances, knowing that God hears us. I know sometimes you, when you pray, it does feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. But that does not mean God doesn't hear. You know, the Bible makes it clear that God hears our prayers. And he may not answer in the way we want them to be answered, but it doesn't mean God never hears us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, it says this. We are to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, meaning unceasingly, meaning pray all the time, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Now, when I read that, I'm just like, how in the world can we really do that? <laughs> how can we pray, praise God and rejoice in the Lord in all circumstances? By the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you can do it. Yeah. And I'll even be honest with you. If you're going through something hard right now and you even approach God in prayer and say, God, I don't feel like praying. I'm mad about this or I'm upset about this. Mm-hmm. You keep praying because God's going to change your prayers. I guarantee yeah. it. Where you focus on him and you wind up praising him, even though you started off uh, with uh, just expressing your heart and mind to God in a negative way. God is a big enough God to take your honest feelings about what you feel. And that there's a book of Psalms to prove that if you would read that. So I just want to let you know that. Mm-hmm. So this leads me to ask you guys a serious question tonight. How is your prayer life? You know, how, how, in, in light of what James says, how is your personal prayer life? Do you only pray to God when things are going good? Uh, I mean, when things are not going so good and then run to him. As soon as things are not going good or it does your life. Can you honestly say that you spend your life praising and uh, praying to God all the time? You know, and, you know, whether you're going to school, uh, you know, whether you're uh, coming home from school, going to work, whatever it may be. I need everybody to evaluate your prayer life before God. Do you view prayer as a privilege that gives you unlimited access to God or do you view prayer as a more of a burden or a last resort when you want God to get you out of your trouble. There's a lot of people where that describes that. Here's something that the famous reformer, Jonathan Edwards, not reformer, uh, but he was definitely um, from, he was definitely popular back in the day, Jonathan Edwards. He says, prayer is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is to life. That's how natural prayer should be to the life of the Christian. And if you are, if you're in a situation where you don't find yourself praying much, you need to ask God to help you come to him. Coming to the Lord through prayer is indeed a wise thing, especially when you're going through suffering, because you are coming to the one who is able to strengthen you in the midst of your pain. So whether you're happy or sad, pray for that is what we are called to do as Christians. And that's why James says, pray when you're in trouble, And praise God when you are happy. Mm -hmm. So not only does James tell us to pray individually in all circumstances. The next slide is this. Pray for other Christians. Pray for other Christians because, yes, we're supposed to pray for ourselves. But it's not all about us. It's about what God is doing Mm -hmm. in other people's life. Notice what James says in verses 14 through 18. He says, as any of you sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. 
And if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is power and effective. Now, there, I want to I want to already tell you guys right off the top. There's a, a, not a lot of Christians agree with how to interpret this passage of scripture, but I'm going to I've studied this and prayed about this. And I'm going to tell you where I land on this passage of scripture in light of the context here so that we can understand what James is telling us. When we read what James tells us in this passage of scripture, it's real easy for us to think that James is talking about a sick person that's wanting to get healed. James makes it seem like whenever someone is physically sick, comes to the elders of the church, like the pastors, the spiritual leaders. He makes it seem like that as long as they pray over them, as long as they anointed them with oil, then they are guaranteed to be healed. But let me tell you guys something that cannot be true. And you want to know why? How many people have you seen get prayed for in church and they did not get healed? I've seen that happen for whatever reasons, for whatever reasons. So and I want to say this. So that's why you got to listen to everything I'm saying. I am not saying at all that God is not able to heal, nor am I saying that God does not heal today because he's most certainly does. But if what James is teaching us here is a guaranteed method for someone to get healed, then it's not true because we know people who don't get healed. But God is not a liar. God's word is true. Therefore, we have to understand that James is not talking about physical healing here alone. Although all translations use the word sick here in verse 14, the word can also mean weak and feeble. So as we think about what James has been talking to us about in light of enduring through suffering, you know, and the concluding of his letter, we have to conclude that what James is talking about is when it comes to uh, becoming spiritually weak as a result of going through suffering. When we have been beat down by suffering, we could become weak spiritually and we need the help of someone who is spiritually strong in the Lord to come to our aid. That's why James says that the elders, the pastor and church leaders are to pray over them and anoint them with the oil in the name of the Lord. I don't think that means literally to grab a, a thing of oil and anoint someone's head and pray over them. I'm not saying nothing's wrong with that. That happens, you, you know, and that's fine. I don't think nothing's wrong with that. But I think James is saying this symbolically to refer to what happens once someone is prayed for. They are encouraged and strengthened in the Lord by the Holy Spirit. That is why it is to be done in the name of the Lord. So that is why James tells us next in verse 15 that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick slash weak person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned due to anything that they've done, then they will be forgiven. So the spiritually weak will be restored and rebuilt. And as Christians, we have to, we're going to have times in our lives when we need to be restored spiritually, especially after going through tough seasons in our life. I've seen this happen with many pastors, you guys, who served in the ministry. They came to church. They heard the word of God, kind of took a break from ministry. And the Lord, just through the prayers of the people, through just the word of God, strengthened them again to get back out there on the field. And it's not just pastors and ministry leaders. It's, we all as Christians need that sometimes. How many of you guys, hopefully you have experienced when you were just going through a, a down time and someone prayed over you and the Lord by the Holy Spirit just, you know, they may have not have said uh, big fancy words or anything like that. But the Lord used that mm-hmm. to stir you up, yep. to motivate you to get back up and follow the Lord. So, you see, when we pray for others as Christians and particularly for those who are spiritually weak, God will restore them and their sins will be forgiven And if their spiritual weakness was a result of their sin, they'll be forgiven. That's why we're told to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other 
so that we may be healed. And the reason he gives us for this is because the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. You know what a righteous person is? Someone who lived their life that's pleasing to God. And and that's between you and the Lord. That's why you've got to walk by the Spirit, you know, and you've got to do what God wants you to do so that you know in your conscience that you're pleasing to God and what you're and how you're living your life before him. That's the key. The key to have an effective prayer in your life is to live righteously before God, because when you live righteously before God, guess what's going to happen? His desires become your desires. And you're going to pray more in line with his will and they will become effective. So that is why you must you always need to make sure that you're right with God before you can help and pray for other Christians. Pastor Carl talks about this all the time, but he talks about it all the time because it's true. That's what James is telling us here. I don't want any Christian praying for me who is not right with God because their prayers will not be effective. That's not my words. That's what James is saying here. And you should not either. Mm -hmm. But what a blessing it is when we are right with God and pray for other Christians, for God will use us and our prayers to help people in their need, for they are effective. That is why James ends by giving us an example from Elijah. In verses 17, he gives us an example of Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Elijah was a human being, you guys, just like me and you, you know, just like us. But because he was a righteous man, he prayed that it would not rain in Israel and it did not rain for three and a half years. You know, ain't that something? Just a man like us. He prayed and it didn't rain for a long time. But then after three and a half years, he prayed that it would rain in Israel. And guess what? The heavens opened and gave rain and the earth produced its crop all because Elijah prayed and lived righteously before God and knew how to pray in accordance with the will of God because God revealed to Elijah what he was going to do. So his prayers were effective. They were not effective because Elijah was a powerful man. They were effective because he was a righteous man who prayed in faith by believing God's revealed word and his promises and believing that God said he will do what he said he will do. We've got to get to a point, you guys, where we believe and trust in God to the point to where we are are persuaded that God will do what he says he will do, that he will fulfill his promises that according to the word of God. The same will be true of us if we live righteously before God and our lives are in alignment with his will. For Jesus says in John, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son. You may ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. That's why Jesus says that. So as we close this second point, I I want to mention this to you. But you cannot be conformed to the pattern of this world, according to Romans 12, too, if your prayers are going to be effective. That's why Paul says that you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So once you know his will... And once you put yourself in a position uh, of knowing his will, then you'll be in a position to effectively pray for other Christians. Praying for other Christians is also necessary because it's not always about us. As I've told you guys before, it's not about us. That's why it's so important to come to church, because it reminds us that our Christian life is just not about ourselves. It's about what God is doing in other Christians lives.
Yes, we should pray for ourselves as James told us to do, but we should pray and care for others by looking at people with a God-centered view, realizing that it's not about us, it's about what God is doing in other people's lives as well. So James tells us not only to pray individually in all circumstances, you guys, pray for ourselves, but pray for other Christians because other Christians need your prayers, especially as a righteous person that's living in a pleasing way before God. Last thing James tells us to pray is for the wanderer. We need to pray for the wanderer. James says in verse 19 and 20, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So he says, if someone should wander from the truth and someone is able to bring him back, I want to tell you guys something. You know, as I think about over the years when I was a youth in youth ministry, like you guys are right now, and all the people that profess Christ, and now all the people that I know now who are not living for Christ, don't go to church and all that kind of stuff, it reminds me of how so many people who profess the name of Christ wanders away from the truth. Pastor Carl preached about that strong this morning about how you have professed Christians who, you know, don't go to church anymore for whatever reason, you know, in America. But so the truth of the matter is, James understands that just because people go to church, that, that, that doesn't mean that they're not prone to wander from the truth. So that's why James says, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring them back, then we need to remember something. So it, first thing we got to understand as Christians is we need to make every effort to try to bring a wandering person back to the truth. And that's on us. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the teachers. It's every single one of our job to do that. And for Christians. So James, I believe, is describing professed believers who need to be called to true salvation by the rest of the church. You all do realize that not all people who come to church are saved, right? Just because they come to church don't mean they're saved. God bless them for coming to church and hearing the word. But if they're not saved, they need to get right with God. So this is the whole reason why James wrote this letter. It was to show us what it means to have genuine faith. Because remember, James kept teaching us faith without works is what? Faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. There we go, Andrew. Yes, faith without works is dead. Mm -hmm. There are people in the church who profess to have faith, but there were no works to prove it. And my, oh my, I'm sure we run into all kind of people who say that describes their lifestyle as well. They are the ones who wandered away from the truth. And it is a sure mark of those whose faith is not genuine that they reject the truth of salvation and fall away doctrinally from the faith which was once and for all handed down to the saints, according to Jude chapter, I mean, Jude 3. So as Christians, you guys, if we notice someone that has wandered away from the truth, we are not to let them just wander. You know what we should do? What, what, what do you think we should do for those who's wandering? In light of what we're learning, what we've learned, the main subject of what we're learning today. What should the first thing we do for them? Uh, pray, right? Pray, yes, absolutely right. When we know that someone's wandering away from the truth, that's the first thing we need to do is pray for them. Yeah. Why do you think it's important to pray for someone that's wandering from the truth? Any thoughts? Let me ask you this then. Do you think in, our, in and of ourselves, we have the power to bring a wandering person back to the truth? You think we have the power to do it? 
I don't think so. <laughs> I cannot just see just just with me sharing the word of God. I'm, I can share the word of God to you all, but I can't convince you to believe it or apply it to your life. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Yes. Somebody can talk you into it. Somebody can talk you out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's why it's the first thing we need to do is pray for those who's wandering. If simply pray that the Holy Spirit will work in their heart to bring them back to the truth. We are called to do what we can to bring them back to the truth. And the first thing that we need to do for them is pray for them. And it's because it's only by the power of God that a wanderer will come back to the truth of the gospel. James tells us that to remember that if someone should bring the wanderer back to the truth, they will be saved from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You know, I got I, I, I want to I am so much reminded of what Pastor Carl said about what happened to him when he was not saved. When a bunch of what he called, um, what did he call them? Um, um, judgmental old ladies in the church. <laughs> you know, he was stubborn, was not coming to the Lord. But guess what they did for Pastor Carl? They prayed fervently for him. And, be, and I do believe it's because of the prayers of them ladies in the church where they did not give up on Pastor Carl, that he's the man of God that he is today. I want to tell you something. I have family members in my life who prayed for me as a young man that I believe that I'm the man that I am today because they did not give up on me. They prayed fervently for me. So if we don't want nobody giving up on us, we should not give up on our fellow brothers and sisters or or unbelievers who are wandering and straying away from the truth. The threat facing the soul is death, eternal hell, the the second death which is the final state of the unrepentant sinner. Mm -hmm. Unrepentant sinners face eternal death weighed down with a multitude of their sins. So since even one sin damns the sinner to hell, James uses the word multitude to emphasize the hopeless condition of sinners. Without Christ, sinners are hopeless. Mm -hmm. We learned about this past Wednesday when Jesus says, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're condemned already because of your sins. So throughout all their lives, they accumulate a weight of sin that will ultimately pull them down to hell. But God has granted to all believers, you and me, the ministry of reconciling the wandering souls to himself. And when the evidence indicates a professed believer's faith is not real, then true Christians, knowing the terrible threat of eternal death that a person faces, we must make it our goal to turn them back from sin to a genuine experience where they come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I close, I want to tell you guys this. Prayer is absolutely a privilege that we have as Christians. And this, you can go to the last slide because it is because of it, it, that is because it is through prayer that we have unlimited access to God, as I've told you guys. But here's what I want us to understand as we get to ready to apply this message tonight. Apart from the gospel, which is right up here, the good news about what Jesus has done to reconcile sinners to God. Apart from the gospel, we would not have the privilege of prayer that we get to enjoy. We would not. Because if you're here tonight and you are a Christian, it is because of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you even have the privilege of prayer where you could communicate to God directly. That's that's all. That's the only reason why you have that privilege. But if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior tonight, you don't have that privilege because God does not hear you. And there's many passages of scriptures that, that explain that. Mm-hmm. Because the only prayer that God is interested in hearing from a lost sinner is them calling on the name of the Lord Jesus to be yes. saved. Yes. 
Sinners are separated from God due to sin. Therefore, sinners have no access to God. Sinners are condemned before God and they're headed to hell. That's why there's that wall between them. But when you call on the name of Jesus to be saved, he will save you and you will become his child and have unlimited access to the throne of God. What a privilege. That's why it says in Hebrews 4.16, it says, let us then draw with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. You notice what he tells us to do there as Christians. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and help from God. Any time we're in need. At all times. Because Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. We can now come boldly to the throne of grace. Not on our own merits. Not bringing our own sacrifice. But on his merit and his sacrifice. Now that Jesus made it possible for us to come to God. We can come to him by faith. For without faith it is impossible to please God. But because of what Jesus has done for us. We can come boldly and with confidence to the throne of grace because it's no longer a throne of judgment for us. If we're Christians, rather, it is where we have received forgiveness in mercy and righteousness in grace. Not only can we come boldly to the throne of grace for forgiveness of salvation, but we also can come to the same throne in prayer, knowing that we are no longer enemies of God, but beloved children of God who call on him, Abba, Father, at all times. So here's my prayer tonight as I close. Yeah, I, I want to mm-hmm. leave with this. Mm-hmm. I, this, is, um, this, 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 this is what uh, John Newman says. We, we must pray to, for courage to bear any crosses, suffering, any, uh, any, any losses, and joyful embrace uh, any sacrificial that biblical pay requires the age of hunger from rich Christians in an in, in, in age of hunger. Yeah, we should cry out to God, yes. So that's why it's my hope and prayer is this. That we would come to God with confidence as we pray for ourselves, as we pray for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and as we pray for the wanderers, and as we pray for the lost to the glory of God. James overall wants us to, it will help us, hopefully you guys understand what James overall message was, but if you don't, here it is in a nutshell, and I'll close. James overall wants us to live the way that we're supposed to live as Christians, and pray the way that we're supposed to pray. As Christians, if you didn't get anything out of our whole series of James, know that our faith is supposed to have an impact on every area of our life. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'll close this in prayer. Oh, yeah. Not oh. just what you do on Sundays. Right. <laughs>